Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. The pre-med year, session number 328. Hello, and welcome to The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome to The Pre-Med Years. If this is your first time joining me here today, welcome, and thank you for taking some time to listen to this podcast My goal with this podcast when I started it over six years ago was to tell the stories of students. It was to share real information with you, to show you that if this is what you want, you can do it. And today's guest is the perfect example of the type of student who I want to succeed on this journey. Somebody who's had an amazing career as a nurse, but wants more. And she struggled in her journey, especially with the MCAT. And we talk all about her struggles and her first application cycle and the jump to her second application cycle and still hearing crickets when it came to interview invites and what she did to advocate for herself so that she could get some interview invites and ultimately a medical school acceptance. Our student today will jump in and say hello to Janet. Janet, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Dr. Gray. You are a nurse. Yes. What I led am. you what led you down the nursing path to begin with? So, uh, I had a family member that was actually diagnosed with um cancer and I wanted to help take care of them, so I ended up doing like a CNA course and getting started with that and then I saw the nurses come in and you know what they did with their care. It was you know, higher level and and more critical thinking and help the patient more. So I was like, okay, let me, you know, dive into that and see um, how I can, you know, just help, you know, help people more. So I ended up doing nursing. And the help, helping people more theme Mm -hmm. seemed to continue. So at what point in your nursing career did you think, I don't know if this is enough for me? So I had I had a patient one night who was, you know, he was pretty gravely ill and, but he was on, he was on the fence to doing better. And, um, on the monitor, it showed a perfect rhythm, which we call normal sinus rhythm. But when I went to his room, um, he was pulseless. So he had pulseless electrical activity and also had, known as a PEA arrest for those who yes, like that kind of PEA stuff. arrest. Yes. <laughs> And so we had to, of course, call Code Blue and, um, you know, help resuscitate him. And uh, when I was, you know, in the code and, 
the role that I played, you know, being a nurse and, and, you know, being the person that I had to tell the story and, you know, why he was here because the doctors and everybody that came in had no idea. So I had to, you know, get them up to speed and assist them in that. I just saw the, the role that I had in nursing wasn't, you know, it wasn't enough. I wasn't, I wasn't be able to be that agent of change in the patient because, you know, the doctors and the other staff were able to, you know, create a plan more. I was a part of the plan, but I wasn't, you know, the person really inputting as much as I really desired to. Now, so. that's it's a very common role for a nurse, right? To do a bunch, but maybe not mm-hmm. the ultimate decision-making and, and stuff like that. What right. do you think it was about you and your personality or your upbringing that determined that it wasn't enough for you, whereas there are tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of other nurses out there going about their day thinking, yeah, this is awesome. This is exactly what I want. So from a young age, my mom is, uh, she's a, a DMD. So she's, she has a doctor in medicine and she specialized in stomatology. So I've, you know, I've worked with her in rural Tanzania. We from Tanzania originally. So um, we moved around a couple of places, but mostly in Africa. And so working with her in in these populations and just seeing different things where it's like a, a ward full of, you know, a hundred patients and there's not enough room and they're kind of laying on the floor and we're trying to give everybody the care that, you know, they can going to, you know, being able to have like funerals for people because they're not able to make it or things like that. So I, I'd seen a lot of things just in the childhood and being able to, being explained, having everything explained to me, like, this is why this is happening. This is the overall picture. This is the bigger picture. And so when I came to nursing, I was getting a picture, but it wasn't the bird's eye view. It wasn't the overall picture. And that's what, that's what I found was kind of the, the block between, you know, nursing and medicine is the fact that, you know, you were getting a picture, but it wasn't, it wasn't the full picture. It's, you know, task orientation of like, okay, this is what we have to get done and everything. But I want wanted to figure out what is the overall picture of the patient's life. You know, it's different from living in a third world country to, you know, in the Western world. And what are they doing? What is happening with them? What is impacting their health more than just what we see here? Because we've created this these four walls in the hospital. So, you know, they only give us as much as, you know, we're asking them. But there's more that impacts health than just your disease and comorbidities. So so you were potentially a little bit ruined from your early exposure as a kid, seeing the full picture. And then when you're out practicing as a nurse, you're, you weren't getting that full picture. So you knew what you were missing. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Everything, everything is, um, you know, fragmented. I did home care and, you know, just seeing the patients going from, you know, the hospital to, the home setting are two different things. You know, it'll be a picture, painting a whole picture. Patient is like, yes, I have help. I have support. I have all these things. And then you go into the home and they're like, yeah, it's just me. (laughs) Hardly walk and I can hardly do that. So there are a lot of nurses who, and and PAs and MPs who go on to medical school because they, they finally realize that number one, they, they want to know more and do more. And number two, that they, they are smart enough 
Was that any part of your journey where you maybe quote unquote settled for nursing because you didn't think you were able to scholastically handle the pre-med path and get into medical school? I mean, I definitely thought that it would be a longer, you know, road for me and I had to work through school. So I've, I've worked since I was 14 years old and they give you permits and you can work like 15 <laughs> hours a week. <laughs> so as soon as they could give me that, I started working. So for me, it was, you know, very much so like, this has to be practical, you know, like this has to work with me also paying bills because no matter how much education I have, if I can't, you know, pay my bills, <laughs> I'm not, yeah. I'm not going to make it in life. So it was very much so like, okay, I probably won't be smart enough to do it because I don't even have the time and the resources to be able to fully immerse myself, you know, and take classes and being able to do every single extracurricular activity that I can. And, you know, just making school my job. And that's kind of like the only thing that really matters. And, and so I didn't, I felt it was, it was more a rounded thing. Yes, I probably wasn't smart enough because I just, couldn't give it the time it, it deserved. Mm, okay. When you decided to finally dip your toes into the, the pre-med world, what was the first thing you did? Uh, the first thing I did was just like sign up for, I, I just signed up for a chemistry, I think it was, yeah, it was a chemistry class, like Chem 101. And that was a horrible idea. <laughs> I Why? went... So it was like a class where you had to take a class before to get in. But with my nursing prereqs, I had taken a class similar to it, but not at that particular age. So they took the credit for the class. But once I got into the class, it was everything was like, we learned this last semester. We learned this last semester. And it was terrible because I had no idea what was going on. So it was just another way of, you know, telling me, like, you're not ready. This is not for you. I took the first exam and it was horrible. I got a 25 on it. and Out of 30? Went, no. <laughs> <laughs> Out of 100. <laughs> I had no idea what was going on. And, you know, it's better if you actually study for something and you're just like, no, I just don't know this. But in the fact that you don't even know what's going on and it's everything is moving so rapidly. So I went to the instructor and I was like, okay, you know, clearly... I need to take the class before this because, you know, mine did not, you know, it didn't teach me everything that I needed to learn. And she was gracious enough to um, let me switch classes like five, four weeks into school. So I got to do the class before that. And I ended up doing well. I did not feel crazy. I got an A in it, but it just goes to show the, you know, kind of the, the place that you, you know, you put yourself in. I've seen a lot of people do this where, I have to take these classes and I have to take them fast and I have to get it done. But, you know, the breadth and the depth of the knowledge is important because everything compounds upon each other. So, you know, one thing, then possibly not going to get the next thing. And I learned that the hard way. Yeah. So did you have to take a, a W for that first class? Yes, I did. Okay. I absolutely took the W and I tried to talk to them because this is all in my head, right? I'm like, oh my goodness, I'll never get into med school this way. I was like, is there a way I will not get a W for this? They're like, unfortunately, we have to give you a W. And I was just, I was, yeah, yeah. I was pretty distraught. But yeah. I decided 
to make a promise to myself to take it one step at a time. I said, okay, we're not going to forego your whole journey because of this class. Let's just take the class before. And then if we do well, then we continue. Good. Now, the nursing careers is pretty flexible with full time Mm -hmm. typically being like three 12 hour shifts, leaving a lot of time to take classes and to fit in extracurriculars. From the time you decided to go back and be pre-med and start this journey Mm -hmm. to the time where you were getting ready to apply the first time, Mm -hmm. uh, what was that time difference like? What was that gap there? So from the, it was about, I started in end of 2014, but really I, so 2015, so about two years, because I, the first time I was applying was 2017, so two years. Okay. And along that journey, how were you managing classes and extracurriculars and working and everything else that you had to do? What was that juggling like? I have no idea. I don't remember. <laughs> Um, so I work, I work night shifts, so I would, which I don't advise people to do. Please like, please, if you're taking anything from this podcast, please do not do what I do. Okay. Or did, because I I don't even recognize that person. So I worked night shift and then I went to class during the day and then I did like, I did that for a year. And then I did the extracurriculars as well, because it was hard to fit in you know, extracurriculars that were maybe like 3 to 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Or, you know, I I did activities for um, living facility. So that was like from 4 to 7. So you can't really, I couldn't work 12 hours and, you know, do that. So I would do that on the day I had school. But that was the day I didn't also like sleep. (laughs) So there was a lot of sleep and nights. But then in 2017, I think I was over the age of 25. So I realized I can't do that anymore. So I, (laughs) it's true. It's true. There's something that happens when you turn 25. You just, you can't go like no sleep to things. So I started um, going to school like um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and then doing the things I needed to do on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturdays, so that I would like one day off Sundays to kind of recuperate. Now, a lot of so that's kind of how a, a lot of nurses and other healthcare workers who want to go and become physicians will not think about the other extracurriculars. They think, "Oh, I'm in healthcare already. I can just take the MCAT, do my classes, and apply." What what sort of extracurriculars were you adding on top of all the clinical experience that you were getting? So, I mean, I did extra were things that I was personally interested in. So, I used to work at this senior center with um with older people and i really when i was you know working there as a nurse i didn't really get to spend as much time doing activities with them and you know just really figuring out what they like and things like that so i wanted to do something that i was genuinely interested in but never really got the time to do so um i did that with them i did um girl scouts i was a girl scout um troop leader i did some student government things while I was, you know, I was still in school. And then I also did research from my cell biology class, which, uh, which really came as something that was not even planned at all. I was just, I was in the hallway at school and I saw my instructor from the last semester and I said, hi, 
do you need any help in your lab? And she was like, sure, send me an email. <laughs> and before she walked away from me, I had already sent her the email. And she looked on her phone. She's like, oh, that was fast. I was like, yes, I'm very interested. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she let me come in her lab. And I was the only kind of, because I wasn't completely undergrad and I wasn't master's. So I was in the middle. And she let me work with her master's and PhD students who taught me so much. And, um, you know, research presentation and posters and things like that came from that experience. But it was just literally just kind of being vulnerable enough to say, hey, (laughs) this is who I am and I can help. And what do you need for me to do? Yeah. So So you have a history of advocating for yourself, advocating for that research position, emailing immediately. And we'll get into advocating for yourself later on in the application cycle. And I I remember you sending other emails almost immediately talking to people. So uh, (laughs) it's, it's, it's a trend in your, uh, (laughs) in your journey. What about shadowing? A a lot of nurses and and PAs and MPs, they'll they'll talk about, well, do I need to shadow? I work around doctors all the time. Did you get any shadowing experience? Yes, I got shadowing experience with, um, with a physician I knew working with the geriatric population and a hematology oncologist I also worked with at the hospital. I worked, I shadowed them at their clinic and it was such a different experience. And that's when um, it goes back to what I said in the beginning of, you know, getting a bird's eye view of what's going on. It was very strange. And I know when nurses and when you guys go shadowing, you'll, you'll have the same experience. So, you know, we're going over a case, we're really getting into the depth of it. And then, you know, writing orders. And so the doctor is like, okay, so I'm going to write this order. And immediately when the doctor writes the order, I'm trying to get up to do it. I'm like, oh, you need blood, you know, instead of really understanding, you know, I'm more of like, okay, why are we getting this, this blood test? And what is that going to, you know, help in the outlook of the patient, you know, further? So I really learned how much task oriented you know, I was with, with nursing and it makes a really, really big difference. Um, you know, even with the patient, you're trying to figure out how everyone is, the doctor will sit there and, and talk to them and really, you know, spend time getting their full history. And you're just like, okay, well, you know, this is what we have to do. It's a lot of like, we have to do this and this and this, you're kind of planning everyone else's life instead of being able to really appreciate the patient and, um, and take in all they have to offer. So, yeah. Yeah. You were getting ready to apply in 2017 and ultimately mm-hmm. decided not to. What was that thought process like? What happened then? <sighs> 2017 was, it was crazy. It was a lot of um, ill-preparedness. I reached out to you in April because um, I kept pushing my MCAT date. And this is just a, an announcement to all of everyone. If you take your AMC exam and you get a score that is not what you want on the MCAT, do not take the MCAT. It will not change when you're on test day. Okay. <laughs> It'll get worse. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my saying around that is I believe in miracles, but not with the MCAT. Not with the MCAT. Like, you know, you almost like want to overshoot than undershoot. Cause yeah, it's because nerves will get to you on the real mm-hmm. test day. It's horrible. Yeah. He just, yeah. So um, there was that. That was the biggest thing. And um, 
of course, you and I worked on my, um, you helped me work on my application, which <laughs> was, I remember you saying my personal statement was sterile <laughs> when, when you read it. And slowly but surely, I started getting your voice in my head to um, really get my story because I think that was the problem. I was so focused on trying to, you know, say how, you know, great of a doctor I would be because of my experience that mm -hmm. I forgot who I was as a person. Yep. So, yeah, so that was the MCAT was a, a big, uh, big thing in 2017 and me not being as prepared as I should have been and not taking it early. You really don't want to hit the submit button before you have your MCAT score back. It's just not yeah. wise at all. When did you get your score back that cycle? I got my score back June the I don't know, 17th or something. Okay. So mid, no, no, mid July. June. No, I took it. No, I took it June 17th and I got it like back July, July 17th. Yeah. Okay. And I forget, <laughs> had you have, did you submit your application already? Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's right. And so you get your score back. It's nowhere yeah. near where you want it to be. <laughs> right. No. Um, <laughs> And what was that process like for you? Obviously, a little freak out mode, a little I'm not smart enough to do this mode. But technically, did you like go to all the schools and to say, ah, just kidding, LOL, never mind. Um, right. What, what happened with the application itself? It wasn't a freak out mode. It was a death. I felt like someone died because it was it was just really bad. It You know, you study for something, you work hard for something, you you get your regular you know practice scores back and I had scored like 16 points less than my actual practice score so I was just like okay something is happening this is horrible and so I emailed the schools and I was like you know I'm gonna re you know I'm gonna retake it in September so that was July so I had you know two months I was like I'm gonna retake it you know please <laughs> I felt like I was wasting their time you know, by even <laughs> submitting because it was just, it was so bad. I was like, what is, who cares? Like, you know, they were like, did this kid just wake up and say she's going to take the MGAT today? Um, <laughs> A lot of students so, do that. <laughs> you know? But yeah, so that was, that's how I went about that. And then, you know, through that time, that process, I learned those two months where I was trying to restudy. I learned how important it is to just take a second and heal. And I remember my best friend saying this. She was like, "You." She had taken um, her MCAT twice as well, and she said, um, "You really need some time to just heal. You need some time to breathe and really gather yourself because doing this studying again will not be easy. You know, the first time it's really nice, sunshine and daisies. I hope no one has to take the MCAT again or restudy <laughs> for it anything, but." No, really, like the first time it's really nice. And then the second time you have to pick up your feelings from I'm not good enough. I can't do this to you actually have a score that proves that you couldn't do it. And then gather the strength to do it again. You got to fight all that. And so that's a lot harder than, you know, the first time, like, it's OK, I'm, I, I can do this. So um, it took me a lot longer and I ultimately decided not to, you know, not to take it and. In September and I remember calling you and telling you that and it you know I felt like it it was a loss and and everything but looking back on it it was the best decision I could have made because mm -hmm. I wasn't mentally just ready to to go through that again yeah and what's worse than one bad score is two bad scores <laughs> two bad so, scores yeah 
Uh, so you, all you're doing is proving to the admissions committees that, look, I not only failed once, I didn't learn from my mistakes, and I did it again. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you took some time off. Did you try to improve anything in your application during that time off, or were you strictly focused on just continuing everything you were doing and then also improving the MCAT? Yeah, I, um, you know, I found a lot of solace just working with patients and going back and doing the activities that I was doing before and um, adding uh, one more thing. I started working with some like cardiac devices. And so spending time with, with some kids and in Girl Scouts, actually, they inspired me the most to keep going and keep doing what I was doing. Cause when they went up a reading level, they were, you know, so excited and seeing them from the, the beginning where they could, you know, hardly do it to the end where they're reading like full books and they're in the first grade and they're like, I did it, Miss Janet, I did it. And they were, you know, they were so excited. And I was like, okay, if they can do this and I can continue to do this, cause I'm, you know, I'm an example for them. So I can't really quit. And that working with, with them and working with the patients, that's what really motivated me to, to go back and, and study again and like take that in. So your activities really, it really helps you with your why, because, you know, books and studying and whatever can only take you so far, but it's those real people. It's those real tangible things that remind you like, wow, I really, really want to do this because, because of who motivates me. Yeah. I talk about it all the time. I I think one of the biggest mistakes that students make is they go, full on into MCAT mode and they stop doing everything else. And then they start to get burnt out. They forget their why because they're not putting Mm -hmm. themselves around patients and other people. So I'm glad you you figured that out. So you retook the test. You improved eight points. Yes. You were one point shy of 500. (laughs) One point shy of 500. (laughs) What was that? You getting back that score the second time you took it. Yeah. In the middle of preparing again for the application, what went through your mind then? It was like a, it was a heartbreak, you know, but then I only allowed myself like three seconds of that. And I was like, okay, you're going to take this. You're going to deal with this. And we're going to move forward because we cannot live in MCAT land forever. Mm -hmm. So we at least have to, and I say we, which is like me and Ryan. <laughs> oh, we at least have to try with the score because I, you know, I was at the point where like my finances were kind of like all over the place because, you know, I was working, but there were some things that happened. So there was just extra things that needed to be taken care of. And I was in a place where I was like, I cannot spend any more time studying. And I remember, you know, telling you this and my school med school pre-med advisor who is is actually great she actually said the same thing she was like oh man if it was just one more point and i was like yeah i know <laughs> if <laughs> <follow me. laughs> but i know i'm probably gonna go through a lot of digital shredders but i was like i will go bankrupt i can't do this like i know i have to you know get a score but i also i have to survive as a person <laughs> like i can't you know so yeah. that was so you click submit on the application. We we polish up the application, tell the best story possible of mm-hmm. your journey. 
when did you submit your application? I submitted it June 16th. Okay. So relatively early. Mm-hmm. And come and you submitted to both MD and DO. Yes. And it was the beginning of October. We had a phone call. Mm-hmm. And it was crickets up to that point. Hadn't heard anything. No, yeah. no interview invites. Uh, no. Maybe some rejections. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing to that point. And that was, I think, a Tuesday that we talked. And mm-hmm. I said, there's a conference happening this Saturday. Mm-hmm. If you can, come out <laughs> to the UC Davis conference and meet some people and advocate for yourself. And so I don't know how you did it, but you were there. <laughs> you were there Saturday. Talk about what that was like being in the middle of the application season, knowing your scores and mm-hmm. your GPA was good, right? It was like three yeah. six ish, three six ish, ish, something like that, <laughs> if yeah. I can talk. And, and so you had a great GPA. The MCAT score, though, was holding you back. Obviously, great clinical experience coming as, from being a nurse. What was that process like for you to go around to the different schools and say, hello, I'm Janet, I'm in the middle of applications, I applied to your school, please, please, please look at my application. So it was, you know, it was really, it was scary at first because I had also done the conference with you um, in like June the year before that. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, you know, I, apparently I'm an extrovert, but yes. I think <laughs> I think when it comes to you know just talking about myself and things like that I'm really I'm really not you know it takes a lot more for me to do that and I didn't know that uh, so when I when I got out there I knew that was going to be something that I had to overcome it's okay to talk to people it's okay to say hey how are you but when you're saying <laughs> when you hey, need something how are you yeah when you know and and you know, I, I guess is like part of it is probably it's some like pride thing i'm not sure but you know just being like hey how are you name is <laughs> janet i applied <laughs> look me up so after i talked to um more and more schools it got easier but i can't say those conferences are pivotal and the pre-med advisors are literally, you know, they're taking your AMCAS ID number. They're taking it seriously. It's not like just, oh, hey, whatever. They love when you said, oh, I've applied to your school. I came out. I really, you know, wanted to talk to you about it, you know, about my application and things like that. It's super helpful. Don't like not walk up to a table because you feel, you know, oh, I'm not good enough or anything like that because it can really, really surprise you what might come did from you, those. Did you shows. lead the conversation at all with, yeah, I got a 499? Or did you uh, let them ask you questions? How did, that, how did that come up, if at all? So, you know, I just, I started, you know, with, hey, the, you know, I applied this cycle and things like that. And then some of them would ask me, you know, was your MCAT? And then if they seem overly excited to pull my application, I'd be like, so <laughs> just so you know, yeah. got a 499. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is that a problem? You know, cause I didn't want us to waste our time and, and start having these, you know, fond conversations and empty promises. And then I would leave there feeling elated and then they would pull my application and be like, oh no, never, yeah. <laughs> not in this lifetime. So yeah, yeah. it just depend on, depends on how it was going. And I, 
personally introduced you to a friend of mine who's a dean of admissions at, at a DO school. Mm-hmm. And we talked and she loved you and yeah. she heard your MCAT score and she said, yeah, I probably, yeah. <laughs> I, she's like, I'm not going to be able to invite you for an interview. You have, you have to be a 500. And when she said that, yeah. it kind of hurt a little bit. It's like, mm-hmm. we try to promote this holistic look at, at an applicant right. and she's like, nope. 500 (laughs) and we know that right we we know that they have cutoffs and stuff like that but it's it hurts even more when you're like right in front of them and it's like Mm -hmm. look i'm a normal person i have great gpa i have great experiences and they're still like i i it's a hard cutoff so yeah that conference didn't really bear fruit for you but you took it upon yourself to go to another conference and and get in front of more people Mm-hmm. What was that like? Because this, the second conference that you went to actually landed you a couple interviews. So what do you think was different that second time around? So it's really knowing the what the aim for the conference you need to go to. So the second conference was a minority conference. So it was helpful because although the UC Davis one had, um, it had a lot of diversity and inclusion, the medical school personnel at this, the AMC minority conference were actually, that's what they were there to do. Mm-hmm. Um, they were seeking out minorities. So it was just, it was easier because at least you didn't have to be like, well, I'm a minority, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it's like, that's what they were. That's what they were there for. And I'd actually gone to the one school. They had an open house the day before and seen the, you know, the dean of admissions and said, you know, she was in a rush to leave. And I was like, oh, don't worry, I'll see you tomorrow. (laughs) And um, I ended up, you know, seeing her and she was like, oh, wow, you came. I was like, yes, I told you I would see you. And, and so by that point, I'm really glad I went to the UC Davis conference because you were there. And so you kind of helped me to know like, okay, you have to get yourself out there. But there was someone where I felt like um, I that had like had my back, you know, there. So when I went to the AMC minority conference, my, uh, my friend works, she, she goes to school at UT health sciences, MD, PhD. So she actually happened to be there at like one of their booths. So it was great because that was just another person that, you know, like was supportive and, and had my back. So I was able to like walk around to all the schools and there were some schools I did not go to. And that the school I'm actually going to matriculate into I skipped that school five times walking around the tables because I had a game. I was like, I got to go to this school and that school and that school and that school and, you know, get out there and, and tell them about myself. And I skipped it. And then I was like, ah, oh, just go over there. <laughs> and did I, you skip I, it because you didn't think you had a chance because the people looked intimidating? Why? Why did you skip it? Yeah. So <laughs> I did. I skipped it because they um, they looked intimidating and I'd actually spoken to one of the, like, another applicant that was applying. And, you know, she had said that, oh, that is my, my like, sorority sister that was over there. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, you know, she was like, well, we're going to dinner later. So I just, I felt like everything was so, like, like she had it in with all those people. And I was just, like, some outsider. And I was just like, okay, uh, I'm just not going to do that. Another, another mistake you know, that, you know, that I made with that. So 
But I said, this is not about a sorority or anything like that. This is about my story. And I applied to the school and I need to go over there and uh, I need to, you know, I need to introduce myself. And I did. And the, it was the director of admissions was actually very much like myself and very intimidating. And she was like, why should we interview you? And, you know, it was kind of like an on the spot, you know, interview. And, uh, you know, I, and I told them and she said, OK, what's your MCAT? And I said, uh, 499. And I kind of did this thing where I was like, oh, I could have done better. And she's like, no, 499, you need to own it. And I was like, OK. <laughs> so um, that was, you know, that was interesting because I was like, OK, that was scary. But she gave me more more confidence, like own, you know, own your story. Mm-hmm. This is who you are. So, yeah. Did you, when you were leaving that conference, did you think anything was going to come of those interactions? Yeah, I got, I mean, yes, I got a lot of, I mean, just from other schools as well. I got a lot of like just positive feedback and, you know, some people that were going to connect me with some other people to, you know, if I had to end up even DO schools, I, I went to a specific DO school that rejected me and the dean there was like, okay, well, you know, we have a cutoff, but I actually know someone else that um, at this other school that might be able to possibly help you. So I just, I felt encouraged because, you know, it's like you were not alone, but at the same time, it's all an empty promise until you get an interview invite. Yeah. So how soon did that first interview invite come? So I left to the conference on Saturday and the interview invite came on Monday. Wow. Yeah. From somebody that you talked to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you got yeah. two interview invites at the end of the mm-hmm. day. Yeah. And went on two interviews and you got two acceptances. Yes. What do you think made the difference for you getting those acceptances? I think just the whole entire, the whole entire, you know, journey. I think by the time I got to the interview, I thought I would be more, you know, scared than, than I actually was. You know, it's like, this is the biggest interview of my life. This is medical school, you know? And I didn't feel that way. I just, I was like, this is who I am. I need to go and meet these people and tell them about myself and also get to know them along the way. It's not just a one way thing where you're saying things and they're grilling you and like, you're just gonna, you know, when they, when they ask you, do you have any questions? You just sit there like, no, I'm fine. It's like, you're going to go to the school. You're going to be married to the school for four years. You also need to, you know, genuinely get to know them, you know. So that was my approach to um, to both interviews. And they were, you know, they were very relaxed. And it was, it was really, it was a good thing because I think a lot of people, you know, go to interviews and they're a lot more, I don't know, I guess more stressful and mine were not like that at all. Yeah. So, yeah. How did you decide between the two acceptances? I decided on, and this will be funny, but I literally got warm and fuzzies feelings from the school that I'm ultimately going to. And that was the first, that was the the overall experience. I think in general in life, you have these these high and low experiences. So you go to Disney World and you're like, oh, wow, great time. But 
overall, there was only maybe like 20 minutes you had fun. And the rest of the time you were standing in line, you were sweating, you were doing all these things. So I tried to, when I got home after the interview, I tried to rate the interview over the whole entire experience. And so with the one school, I really loved the school, but I realized it was from two interactions I had and the conversations that I had with these specific people. And, you know, I, I liked the overall feel, but it was just, that's what really drove, drove it home for me. And I was like, I can't go to a school because of interactions I had with two people. And so with the other, um, with the other school, it was, it was the programs that they had and, you know, the, the time they have for, uh, board prep time, what, when they, um, take their board scores, global health is really important to me. So, uh, the, the school I'm matriculating in actually has, um, programs for me to be able to go back to Tanzania and do, work in global health and, you know, still get credit for that. And just the overall feel of the students, you know, the learning style. I think one of the the biggest things from the, like the schools that I've learned from is that all medical schools would teach you the same thing. The difference is how they do it. So what drew me to the school that I'm matriculating in is how they did it you know, how they're teaching through team-based learning um, and not having lectures and doing more case-based studies. Because I've gone through enough school to know that, you know, lectures are not the best learning form for me. Yeah. So, yeah. For the student out there struggling with their MCAT, maybe struggling with their GPA (laughs) and maybe is in the middle of their application season or knows that they're going to have to advocate for themselves like you advocated for yourself, what words of encouragement would you have for them to go out there and do that? I would say don't look to the right, don't look to the left, just focus on your journey. There is no one else like you. And yes, there are people out there, they're probably smarter, better, brighter, whatever it is that's going on with them. But if you just take the time out to appreciate the things that are going on in your life and focus on those and just keep working hard, that will amount in a, a greater satisfaction when you get to the end. And it won't be easy and you will have pitfalls, but just remember your why. That's what's going to you know keep you going. And there's no such thing as balance. So no, I will not tell you that you know, you can spend time with your friends and, and your family and, and, you know, do all those things. You will have to sacrifice. You will. And, um, you know, you just have to know the people around you who will, you know, who will support you through that. All right. So there you have it. Again, that was Janet showing you what you can do if you just believe in yourself and advocate for yourself. Nobody is going to advocate for you on this journey. You have to advocate for yourself. Now, you don't want to bug and pester the admissions committees over and over and over again. If they're at a conference, they're meant to, they're there to interact with students. They're there to recruit specific types of students. And obviously, she mentioned that at the AAMC Minority Student Fair, they're there looking for minority students. It's a fair to help minority students get into medicine. And so she showed up and she got a couple interviews and she got those acceptances. So if you are struggling on your journey, think about attending a conference that maybe you can fly to or maybe is local. Stay in contact 
with as many schools as possible as you're going through this journey and have them advocate for you if you can meet the right people. I hope this one was helpful for you. I know that Janet had an amazing journey and I know she'll inspire a lot of you out there to hopefully do what she did. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years. (laughs) 